Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories featuring the experts and campaigners you really should be listening to. The Diamond Diversity figures were released last fortnight and were met with a chorus of frustration with disappointing slumps and plateaus for disability representation and representation of black, Asian and minority ethnic people. This week, campaigners Marcus Ryder, Caroline O'Neill and Andrew Roach join me, Max Goldbart, to analyse where the industry is going wrong and what can be done about the shortfalls. We take a deep dive into issues of intersectionality and there's even a bit of a disagreement in everybody's favourite what we've been watching segment. And just to say, an audio transcription for the hard of hearing will be made available shortly after the podcast is published. So welcome to the News Wrap podcast this week. Uh, and I'm joined by three of, of the most prominent diversity campaigners the TV space has to offer. So I'm delighted to welcome Caroline O'Neill. Caroline O'Neill is a profoundly deaf series producer and development executive with a background in popular factual, specialist factual and fact ent. She co-runs the Facebook group Deaf and Disabled People in TV. She is a Media Trust Screen Skills Mentor and is the Disability Officer for Beck2 Unscripted. Diversity Champion Marcus Ryder also joins us. He is the recent author of Access All Areas, the Diversity Manifesto for TV and Beyond, a book he co-wrote with Sir Lenny Henry. And he's also a visiting professor of media diversity at Birmingham City University. The Lenny Henry Centre is currently working with the BBC and Channel 4. Marcus is based in Beijing and is the executive producer of online media at Chinese financial publication Caxin Global. Andrew Roach is our final guest this week. Andrew runs Andrew Roach Talent, a dedicated talent management service that works with a range of majority disabled talent, including Britain's Got Talent winner Lost Voice Guy, Gardener's World presenter Mark Lane, and Under the Skin star and campaigner Adam Pearson. So we're here to talk Diamond, the data of which came out a couple of weeks ago and has probably attracted more negative headlines than positive, I think I would argue. Caroline, were, were you disappointed with what you saw from the data or, or, or did you expect the, the shortfalls? The, these were shortfalls in mainly disabled off-screen talent, disabled on-screen talent and off-screen talent for Black, Asian and minority ethnic representation. So, well, for me... At the moment, it's the only way of exploring any sort of data that we've got. It's the only evidence really within the industry. So rather than sort of criticizing the system, I think we really need to look at ways of making it work for all of us. What are the solutions going forward and how can more people sort of declare their disability? Um, You know, in terms of like filling out the form, I need to be sort of like thinking more about the future rather than picking it just to pieces. I think, you know, I'm not surprised by the figures that have just come out. We've seen the trend. It's been a problem for a long time. I think with BAME, the dropout rate is just awful within the industry. We need to really work out what's happening and stop it from happening. The same with disabled people. The problem is still there in terms of the industry. What are the solutions to that? And I think broadcasters are a big part of the problem and the indies as well, just because there's fear and ignorance about how to actually talk to disabled people and deaf people, how to recruit us. I think ignorance as well. 
they, they sort of lots of people don't actually know the Equalities Act 2010. They're not aware of like the, their legal obligations and we need to solve that. Do you feel, Marcus, there's obviously since um, since around May or, or June of, of last year, there was a industry reckoning, as one would describe it. The death of George Floyd sparked the Black Lives Matter protests, pushed it forwards. The diamond data ended on 31st July 2020. Since then, do you feel like broadcasters and production companies are engaging more positively? And, and can we expect to see a change? You know, we are recording this on Wednesday, the, what's the date, the 10th? And, uh, you know, two hours before you invited me on, and two hours before we made this um, podcast, you know, the announcement that Kamal Ahmed is, um, has been restructured out of the BBC's news board, which maybe the BBC has got some master plan up its sleeve, and but right now, in the year of Black Lives Matter, in the year of, you know, less than a year after George Floyd's death, the, the BBC News Board has gone from one person on it to zero um, person of colour on it. And let's just make sure we have the list. So if you look at 18 months, right, if you look at what's happened in 18 months, Naga Manchetti, right, that was followed by, so Naga Manchetti, the BBC had to do a very public reversal after saying that it was wrong to call Donald Trump's tweet racist. I mean, who now would possibly think that that could be a correct editorial decision? But it wasn't just an editorial decision. It was an editorial decision that was signed by the entire news board and executive board, right? So after it was criticized, there was a collective action by, so this was Naga Machete, this 18 months ago. This was then followed by the BBC News Board doubling down on the use of the N-word at breakfast time, which was, is completely bonkers. I mean, let's, let's just be honest about it, right? Uh, it's, everybody makes mistakes, you know? And so I'm not critical of, you know, a mistake being made. It was broadcast at the wrong time, you know, whatever. But after that mistake was made, to double down on it, you have a position where they are arguing that black journalists cannot go on Black Lives Matter marches. And then you have the position now where the only non-white person on the news board, it's restructured so that they go. Now, what you have is that the BBC has done some wonderful stuff, right? There is no doubt about it. Small acts, love it. Um, there's some other brilliant productions that the BBC has done. You only have to look at a lot of the reports that Rihanna Croxford has done, you know, so there's some BBC produces some brilliant stuff. But if you're asking me, has there been a, you know, systemic change? Has there been some structural change? I'm not sure. Maybe there will be. I mean, the BBC is talking about this 112 million over three years fund. So maybe there, there will be, right? But right now, two hours, you know, I'm still reeling from the fact that just two hours ago, I heard that the one non-white member of the BBC News Board, you know, has been restructured off. Yeah, the timing does not seem great. And I think you're right to bring that up and, and uh, other issues such as the, the N-word scandal as well from, from a few months ago, again, regarding BBC News, might not be seen as showing great faith to, to drop the only non-white person from the board. 
Although there, are, I think there are two people still to be hired who will go onto the board, both of which could, could be non-white. So, uh, Andrew, what do you think about all of this? Do, do you see the broadcasters maybe more at fault than the indies uh, with regards to these diversity fails, uh, or how are you seeing that landscape? I think it's really dangerous to assign the failure to one particular area. All I can tell you anecdotally, and you know, I deal with both broadcasters and producers, and as you said in, in the intro, the majority of my clients identify as being deaf or disabled. And through the last 12 to 18 months, I was really hopeful and various initiatives and discussions and panels and targets being set, we would then see a positive result. And particularly over the last 12 months, when lo and behold, we've already proved as an industry, we've become really accessible and everyone can work in remote ways. But, but the reality is, and whether you look at the diamond data or you look at basic crude research, which I have spent a lot of time doing myself, literally going through listings, it shows when it comes to deaf and disabled talent, not only are they not representing even half of the population percentage in the UK, but they are so devoid of opportunities across the board that I think we have to assign you know, I don't like a blame culture, but in a way, I think we've got to get down to addressing systemic ableism, which exists in our industry. I should not be able, in the last two, three weeks, to look at 11 series across BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Sky, um, BBC Radio 4 and Comedy Central, over 85 episodes of television and radio, over 300 guest spots and only be able to identify six of those spots being filled by disabled people. And by the way, not by six disabled people, by five disabled people, because two of those spots are filled by one person. So that is how bad it is. And by the way, of those 11 series, six of them, I think, at least, had no visible disability representation in them at all. In according to the research I've done, in the history of British television and radio, I can account for 62 people with credit who would identify as disabled. 62, 11 of those being comedians. So we need to stop talking about it. We need to stop doing events. We need to stop doing panels. We need to stop possibly doing podcasts, as lovely it is to speak to all of you, and just get on with booking the talent who are there. I'm all for training schemes. I'm all for bringing people through. But the reality is, on and off screen, disabled talent, lo and behold, exist at the moment. In the six years of running my agency, this week, I have managed to get the second disabled comedian I represent a tryout on a panel show. That is two in six years. Caroline, did you want to add something? I think you're being very generous in a sense, Andrew. I'm very generous, I think, you know, thinking about sort of the broadcasters, um, the people who are in charge, you know, hiring and firing, and the Indies, I think they need to take more responsibility. Broadcasters need to be saying, right, there's obviously a lack of on-screen and off-screen disabled and deaf talent. We really need to engage more. We know there are people out there. We know there's a talented group, deaf um, and disabled people in TV. You know, there's nearly 600 members in that group, from right from entry-level people right to the top. 
So, you know, we need people to actually like um, join us and actually get engaged with us. I think, you know, the, the resources there, I just find it completely ridiculous that we are still in this situation. The resources are there that broadcasters and people can tap into. So, you know, we need to sort of think um, that in terms of like training and knowledge and in terms of hiring people, the training schemes, they work well, they're all well and good, but actually putting on somebody in under training scheme for sort of six months and then bye-bye at the end of that, they're just left on their own again. We need to actually create a more protected culture where we find these this crucial talents within deaf and disabled or the minority groups that you know we can talk about. They all need to be given much more support to actually be nurtured and developed and move towards the top of the ranks. You know, I think it's crucial that there's not enough representation at the top of the industry. Mm-hmm. We need to keep opening that door and bringing those people up. We need to deal with that as a major issue. The broadcasters and the indies need to be more accountable for this behavior. And I would just add to that, that it's atrocious that we can talk about these individuals. You know, we need to be building critical mass, you know, because it's only through critical mass that you can then change the culture. Otherwise you are just depending on this one person, you know? So the very fact that we can talk about, you know, we can actually count the number of disabled people, you know, is insane. The, the fact that we're saying, oh, well, if Kamal Ahmed has gone, don't worry, there might be another one coming along. You know, it's, it, we, we need to be building critical mass, whether that's in, for all the underrepresented groups, because it's not until we build critical mass that we can change culture, and it's not until we change culture that we can actually change the narratives and actually change what we see on our screens. We can't be dependent on one individual and hope that the one deaf person will be able to bring everything through, or the one LGBTQ person, or the one black woman will be able to bring everything through. You know, we mm. have to build critical mass. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. I think that's something that I talk about a lot um, with talent managers, um, with, with whoever within the industry, to be honest, deaf people and, and disabled people within TV. In terms of kind of like, you know, deaf people and disabled people, we need to do more to actually like put ourselves forward and educate people. I'm like, why? Why should we be doing this? If everybody is actually taking responsibility, you know, I've had to sort of take responsibility of this for myself throughout my career. Um, you know, but in terms of like doing my job, I've always had to explain, okay, I'm deaf. And in terms of how to work with deaf, it's this, this is how you communicate. It's like the onus is always on me to do that. People actually need to educate themselves and take responsibility. And then they can like bring people up through the ranks in this industry. And also I think, you know, we need to address intersectionality. Um, I was looking at this the other day. In terms of disabled, deaf and disabled people of color, on television. I mean, you know, I, I think I, I think I managed to identify three with, you know, a significant number of credits. Yeah, Shani Danda, who I recently started working with, who's been named in the BBC 100 women list, who is a disabled woman of colour. You know, people should be all over me to get to Shani. You know, not, and, and actually, by the way, they should be doing that because she's fantastic. End of. But we're, you know, and, and we've spoken about this, Shani and I, where, where does she see herself? I've had a, a client say to me who's, who's got considerable credits in, in, in respect to being a disabled person, 
but nowhere near the same as if they were a non-disabled person, has actually said to me in recent times, I feel like I have imposter syndrome because I'm only booked because I'm disabled and then I'm never booked again. That's how our industry makes disabled people feel. You know, and, and, and I don't know if we've used the word yet within this podcast discussion, but let's just say it, discrimination. If people are not being booked who are good enough consistently, it is discrimination. That end of, that's it. And I think as an industry, the moment that we can identify that as, as ableism, particularly in relation to deaf and disabled people, address it and be really open and honest about it, the better. I mean, I have had some of the most ableist things said to me by senior people within broadcasters and producers within the last six to 12 months that have ever been said to me. Now, I don't necessarily think those people have thought, right, before I say this to Andrew, I'm going to say the most ableist thing I could ever say. I don't think that, but they've still said it, which is even worse because they don't even realise. And that, that's how bad it is. And, you know, as an agent who predominantly represents deaf and disabled people, I'm sorry to say the commercial reality of it is, it's not, as it's, you know, particularly at the moment, it's not easy, but commercially, it's very tough. It's, it's actually, in some ways, not commercially sustainable. And that's not right either. And, and you know, the reality is that my clients don't work, I don't earn, but that's because they're not being afforded anywhere near the same opportunities as non-disabled people are. It's just, you know, in, in a way, to go back to the, the original discussion we were having about diamonds, and I think Marcus is right, I, I, I don't really know enough about the data. I can't, you know, I, I want to latch on to it because I do feel that in some ways it is the only data we have other than my very well-researched data, um, which literally is going through IMDB and various things. Um, but the trend is there. And, and the reality is in four years, off-screen representation of disabled people has gone up by 0.3%. And not only has it gone up by 0.3%, it went down in the second and third years and then went up again. On screen, it's gone up by 1.7%, I think. 1.7%, which by the way, is still 12.8%, I think, below the population percentage. And also while I'm on it, why are we just doubling disability? Why is it okay to say, we're just gonna double disability? You know, we why is that enough? <laughs> you know, we're talking about the largest minority group in the UK, in the world. Why is it okay just to aim at doubling? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And also, I still struggle with why it's only off screen. Why is it not off and on screen? Mm. I understand how with off screen targeting there, you know, will raise opportunities. Of course it will. And it's really important. But why is it... what? Why is it not both? I just so many questions. Sorry to not answer them all, <laughs> but you know, it just it it it's the the crude nature of these statistics show quite openly how bad it is, and not only how bad it is, but how bad it is we are improving it when the talent is there, they are ready, willing, and able to work. Just book them. And I, I should say at this point that we worked together on an article last week that the 0.3% in 
increase in, in off-screen disabled representation would have had to be 4.5% in order for the broadcasters to hit their doubling disability target, which runs out at the end of this year and is, is very unlikely to be met now, I, I believe. But I, I wanted to discuss intersectionality a, a little bit more. Marcus, I know we're, we're losing you in a couple of minutes. So, so if, I, if I turn to you first, I thought a couple of things that Andrew said were really interesting. Is the term diversity a little bit unhelpful at the moment? I feel like diverse strands are often brought together when when each has their own challenge. And does success or perceived success in one area almost negate success in other areas? I think diversity isn't um, a very useful term. I think we do need to start actually talking about racism, ableism, discrimination, and I also think we need to talk about representation. I think those are far clearer ideas that we can latch on to. Diversity is a very wishy-washy term. I can understand why we adopted it, because it meant that we were allowed into certain rooms and certain discussions were had, which weren't had before because people were frightened of having those discussions. But we're having those discussions now. And so I feel that the term diversity has served its purpose. And I say that as somebody who's just published a book called The Diversity Manifesto. So I, I can see where, you know, um, the, the flaw in my own argument. But at the same time, I think that my next book, I would like to call representation, or I'd like to, as I argue in, in the book, you know, we are the majority. You know, um, white, heterosexual, able-bodied men um, make up 31% of the population in the whole of the UK. If you then look at regionality, they make up just 3.1%, you know? Um, so we make up, the people that we term di diverse make up 96.9%. And yet we're still perceived as this minority, you know, we're still perceived as begging for um, the scraps off the table, you know? If we want better representation, you know, we, the 96.9% need to be represented and we, we shouldn't be relegated to diversity initiatives. We're losing Marcus. He's gone. <laughs> and, then, and then there were three. Caroline, what, what do you think in terms of the, the intersectionality debate? I was speaking to Andrew a little bit last week about how the, the reporting of Diamond tended to focus on Black and Asian uh, and minority ethnic representation, possibly over disability representation. Is, is this something that you recognise as, as a problem and, and what can be done about it? Yeah, it is something um, that we're actively talking a lot about at the moment, certainly within the group uh, Deaf and Disabled People in TV. And we've recognised, you know, this as an issue and how can we sort of pass it on to resolve it, really? How can we resolve this issue? I've got a friend and colleague who himself is a Deaf Asian director. And he's worked in TV for many years now. He's really good. He's got a lot of potential. But for him, as a deaf person and an Asian person, the discrimination, well, from both of those um, uh, sectors, he's actually decided to step back um, from this profession. There's more to it than that, but essentially that's what's happened. And I was just so sad that we've lost somebody who was so astonishingly talented within the industry because of really uh, the attitudes from people it's just ridiculous that people like that are actually leaving the industry. We actually need to find a way to address 
people who are falling through the gaps like this, it's just crucial within the area that we try to sort of solve this. You know, they're thinking, do I belong in that box? Do I belong in this box? It's like, maybe they belong in both camps and that should be celebrated. You know, what they actually bring to the table is just gold dust, it's amazing. In terms of filmmakers, production makers, documentary makers, what they can bring to the table is astounding. So I think going back to what Marcus said about diversity in that term, I do agree, it's a really wishy-washy term, like he said, and I just worry that sometimes, you know, setting up these protected groups against each other, which can quite often happen, the word diversity, you know, you arrive at the table ready to kind of engage and realize actually, you know, this session, it isn't for me. You know, this, this session that we're talking about isn't for deaf and disabled, it's not for me, but because I'm part of like one of the minority groups, you know, I think, Really, all these protected groups should be supporting each other and championing each other and all of us working together so that we can actually like elevate all of us up. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like saying, you know, I've had, you know, because I'm gay, um, a few people say to me, oh, you're like so-and-so, they're gay. And I'm like, no, I can assure you, I probably won't, actually. Um, but, you know, this, you know, even, and this is the other thing, even within disability, there's, to use the word again, there's diversity, you know, between visible, you know, invisible, um, you know, Caroline and I were, since I've got to know Caroline, I've had, had really interesting discussions about, you know, the deaf community in relation to disability. I was speaking to one of my clients earlier, Alan, who is autistic, and about whether he identifies as disabled as, as a result of, of having a diagnosis of autism. It's such a kind of interesting but for me it's about celebrating difference and you know and, and this is what I don't understand particularly in this culture and how we should be how we can't get on board with this representation I think Marx has used really you know the, the, the best word there in a, in a way of difference in, in all its different forms and how how we in industry have got such a vital part to play particularly for young people or actually for anyone really, to see themselves authentically portrayed. And, you know, as a young gay man, you know, it was hugely important for me to be able to watch Queer as Folk. I mean, without question, one of the most defining things I ever watched and suddenly thought, oh, wait a minute, it's all right to be like this. You know, and, 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 and that's what I, I still worry about within the representation of disability is even when it is done, you know, how authentic is it? You know, who's actually been involved in it? Who's actually made that decision? Who's, who's contributed? The, the, the fact that Sia's film, music, has been nominated for a Golden Globe should tell you all you need to know about, you know, representation of disability within film, for example, at the moment, and how we still can't get our, our, our head around cripping up not being okay. It's mind-blowing to me. So I started to watch a series on Netflix the other day and it was only somebody pointed out to me there's a, a character who's a wheelchair user. This is a, a recently produced series who's not actually a wheelchair user. <laughs> I just, I just I literally because it was on there thought they must be. They hadn't even dawned on me they wouldn't but then somebody actually told me they aren't and I just I cannot get my head around that. And uh, Caroline, what, what would you say the role of the coronavirus pandemic has been here in, in terms of the diversity push? 
That's quite a complicated question and there's a lot of responses to that. I think one thing that I will say is we expected in terms of the uptake uh, within disability, the figures, I expected that to go up just because, you know, with the current working from home situation, it meant that it's created almost an ideal situation for people, for disabled people, should we say. I thought I'd be perfect almost as a solution to bring in where we're working remotely. You don't have to work about, worry about sort of um, mobility issues, wheelchair access, that sort of thing. But I'm, I'm actually quite disappointed with the results because I know that um, a lot of the broadcasters who had the, the disability schemes, they had to put a lot of them on hold because of the coronavirus. And that's had quite a knock-on effect, I have to say. Before we move on to our next and final segment, I, sh- I should point out that Project Diamond has stressed that its system wasn't built for program level data in terms of some of the criticisms that have come its way. And I should also say that contributions to Diamond did increase from 600,000 to 750,000 over the past year. I wanted to move on to our final segment, which is what we've been watching. So I'd love to know what you guys have been watching on TV for late. Caroline, uh, do you want to go first? Oh my goodness. Okay. I am really, really uh, late to the party. I've been binge watching It's a Sin, which, oh my goodness, it is completely heartbroken me. I was watching it last night in sobbing. Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I think I really loved the casting. It was just so authentic. And Ollie Alexander was just so astonishingly talented. Oh my gosh, it was a stunning programme. Really mm. hard to watch, but amazing. Russell T. Davis doing it, doing it once again. And Andrew, what, what have you been watching? So I have adored both series of Succession. I think probably one of the best written, directed and acted things I've ever seen. However, no disability representation. So that's bad, as far as I'm, as far as I'm aware. And I just thought on every level it was, insanely good i have always i just funnily enough caroline finished watching it's a sin last night and as much as i did appreciate it and get it i just i'm such a fan of queer as folk that i just cannot see anything above it and that's not to bring down it's a sin at all because i thought so many of the acting performances were just incredibly good my only wish about it's a sin from a pacing point of view, maybe it was an availability thing and it just felt to me a wee bit of times a wee bit fast paced and I'd have liked longer. But I appreciate there was probably other reasons behind that in terms of, you know, people being available and, you know, production, filming schedules, etc. And there was just some of it I would have loved to have seen more of. But yeah, I, I did also think that was extremely, extremely good. Yeah, we can talk it out later over that <laughs> if you want, Andrew. Oh. Yeah. And, dra- and drag race drag race all the time excellent <laughs> excellent stuff well, well look it's been it's been such a pleasure guys caroline o'neill andrew roach and marcus Ryder, who departed about 12 minutes ago thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and hopefully we can welcome you again soon thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap I'm delighted to have welcomed campaigners Marcus Ryder, Caroline O'Neill and Andrew Roach to the News Wrap, who've been speaking to me, Max Goldblatt. This podcast was edited by Hannah Bowler and an audio transcription 
for the hard of hearing will be made available shortly after the podcast is published. You can check out past episodes of the News Wrap on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk. Thank you.